to the Everyone But Us podcast, straight from the heart of London. What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Everyone But Us quarantine special. My name's Waymar, be your host today. I'm accompanied by my two prestigious brothers. To my top left, I have Steve, a.k.a. Danny DeVito. What's <laughs> <laughs> up, Steve Aiden? That's the wrong a.k.a., and you know it. <laughs> I'm just I'm waiting for mine. And Idris, I'm having it. And to the bottom right, I have my other brother, aka Apollo Creed. Yeah, How you doing, brother? I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that. Yeah, yeah you know what I mean. My, I'm good with my daddy. Devito is a cuss man. <laughs> <laughs> he got dashed into the fucking river in the Batman Returns. In it at the end when he's the penguin. Oh yeah, I forgot about that shit. <laughs> Yeah, wait, wait, wait. I feel a little bit disrespected straight off the bat, and it's like <laughs> I'm sorry. 27 seconds into the fucking podcast, and you already go on. You, can, you can get me back on the next one, right? Yeah, you'll have to do it. Yeah, next one, you'll have to call him something that everyone usually normally says. I still think Black Squatch is the best one, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's get to it anyway, man. Let's get to it. So, without further ado, I'd like to introduce our next guest. I've been a fan of this band ever since I heard their split with EGH on Back to Basics Records, I'm thinking around 1998. If I could describe their music, it's pure New York hardcore mixed with some peppers and spice and some rice and peas on the side. Yeah. With that flavour. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce my brothers, Glenn, Malone and Gary from the mighty Notorious Billy Club Sam Wee! What up, what up? What up, guys? First of all, how are you guys doing? We'll go with Glenn first. Oh, man, just sitting here in New York, just staying out of the way, staying home. So far, everybody closest to me has been healthy, hasn't gotten nothing. And again, rarely go to the store, just gone on a couple hikes, going for a walk every week or so, (laughs) and just sit on my front steps to uh, get sun. It's just me and my wife here, but I got my brother's family upstairs. At least he's got two. I got two nephews with him, and then a good friend of mine lives upstairs on another floor. So we got a few people to hang out with, not just the two of us losing our minds. What about you, Malone? How you been, brother? Uh, I'm good. Uh, I'm up in uh, Connecticut. I live just uh, east of Hartford, so I'm about two hours outside of New York City, but still working. But we working from home. My girl's still working. She works at a a place that does. Uh, like heavy machinery repairs and shit. So they're still working. Just maintain it, man. Okay, cool, man. And Gary? Uh, I am sitting at home in the Bronx. Haven't really left more than a couple hundred feet from my house just to go on walks and stuff like that. You know, it's just me and and my cat friends here and and the, the wonderful Amazon delivery guys are my only connection with the outside world right now. So, like, my first question to you guys is, like, um, following Trump's previous press conference, have you guys been injecting bleach? <laughs> <laughs> we did not follow our fearless leader. So, I've been off the bleach for some years now. I'm not going back. <laughs> <laughs> Funny enough, we just had um, Boris Johnson's just been on the news, and he's basically announced that we have to go back to work. Did you hear the press yeah, conference? Yeah, I mean... <sighs> I think it, it, in some ways it made some sense. In a lot of ways, it was fucking stupid. 
He's saying, don't go to work. If, but if you can go to work, go to work. But don't take the tube or the bus. So, you know, <laughs> walk that 27 fucking miles to work. You need that thing in, what's it, Quantum Leap, Ziggy? You know, he had that thing and he could fucking just jump to any oh. spot he wanted to. <laughs> what? What no, no, called? no, no. You're talking about Al, aren't you? Was it Al? Yeah, Al and Quantum Leap with a little handheld thing and he'd go, Gushy! <laughs> <laughs> My, yeah, my my thing with Boris Johnson is um, that press conference or what he, what is addressed tonight was just basically to like the lowest denominator type people that we've got in our country, just so that today they can just be like, oh, he's saying the right things, he's doing this, doing that, and it's like nothing's really changed much. They've changed the fucking slogan from "stay at home" to "stay alert." What's that even fucking mean? Stay alert. Like, what do you mean, stay yeah. alert? Stay, stay alert. Like what? Uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. That COVID might jump out from behind a tree at you. you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, sorry, Matt, you were saying about stay at home. Um, Continue. Yeah, well, New York State, he, uh, Cuomo just gave a speech yesterday and he was talking about the possibility of extending it into June, but he hasn't done that for sure yet. He's probably going to extend it into June for New York City. Yeah, definitely. But other parts of the state that are more rural, they they might start opening, you know, within two weeks or something like that. But I don't think with New York City, I don't think they're going to open anything anytime soon. Uh, they're being very careful with it. And it's a good idea because if you look at the numbers, you know, outside of New York, they started opening stuff and all of a sudden the numbers start, just shot up. So, the you know, some some places actually opened up and then backed off on it a little bit once the numbers spiked up. So New York is kind of doing it the right way. So you're pro Cuomo is what you're saying, Molly. <laughs> <laughs> so Martin, man, welcome to the Everyone But Us podcast. Martin's just joined in. Um, we're just talking about what you've been up to during the lockdown. Well, I just actually shaved the other day. So that's, nice. that's, that's a blessing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, right now I'm still working. Taking care of my kids. Uh, you know, I got my mom here now. I had to pick her up yesterday. So now we're in a bad situation. So we're trying to make the best of it right now. But, you know, it is what it is. That's it. Just keeping positive. You know, once in a while, I'll talk to these jerk offs. And, <laughs> and they were saying such nice things about you as well. Yeah, I, 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 I know that. I know that. I know that. I started getting emails about, wow, Glenn really doesn't like you. No, he does. <laughs> <laughs> so, so out of all you guys, I first met Glenn, I think, in around 1998. Um, it was with Knuckle Dust when no redeeming social value uh, were touring the UK. You don't remember this, Glenn? And you played a town called Margate. It was in 2000 is when I came there. Apparently, we played a sailor's bar and... All you guys were giving yourself private names. Yes. That's where I got seaweed. That's it. <laughs> to give a, give a bit of a backstory, what was your name called? Well, I mean, the only, there was no backstory. We were on stage and Dean decided to do the entire show as a, part, as a pirate. So it was all R to this and army mate team. <laughs> and as he introduced the band, our drummer's name is Seaweed. Why? Because when he sees weed, he smokes an R. And <laughs> 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 that. And it was hysterical. Mm -hmm. I fell off the drum throne almost. And uh, <laughs> that's, I think the, name, the new No Demon record that should come out at some point this year, I'm still called that. <laughs> nice. And I just want to say, like, we can't mention No Demon Social Value without saying rest in peace to Vinny, man. So rest in peace to Vinny. Yeah, word. You guys grew up 
in the Bronx and lower Westchester area. Am I, am I right in saying? Yep. When I was growing up, like I was a big hip hop head. So I grew up listening to a lot of hip hop and they used to always like refer to them areas. Like them areas had a reputation as being a tough neighborhood. And that's why whenever you see me wearing a hat, I've got Bronx hat, I've got Brooklyn hat. So I wanted to ask you guys, what was it like growing up in them areas? Wow. Uh, I grew up in, uh, in an area called, well, yeah, in the South Bronx, but there's a specific area called the Patterson Projects. And uh, right across the street from the Lincoln Hospital, basically. And it wasn't easy, bro, man. Let me tell you, it wasn't easy. Got my ass kicked a couple of times, and that shit wasn't fun, man. You know, getting smacked up by bigger, older dudes. Oh, now, shit. if I go there, now the older dudes are in fucking cane and on a walker. I'm the one who want to slap them in the head. <laughs> <laughs> but as I was growing up, you know, things started getting it started getting easier. You know, I'm getting into hardcore, you know, because of Glenn, you know, showing me all these different shows. You know, it was just like I started getting more, you know, like uh, started getting hair in my chest, you know, started being, <laughs> you know a big boy, you know. It started getting easier because now I'm smoking weed and, you know, I know who to go to. I can go to the bodega, you know, get my, you know, Lucy's, you know, two or three Nick Nick bags and shit. And like, like Glenn can live there now. <laughs> <laughs> Glenn's pulling the face. What about you, Malone? What was it like for you? So I didn't grow up in the city. I grew up in the suburbs and uh, it wasn't like that. Um <laughs> You know, it wasn't a particularly rough neighborhood, but we weren't, you know, my family wasn't, uh, we're just working class. Like, you know, my parents didn't like buy a house or shit until after I was, I had graduated high school, but we just grew up in apartments and shit, but was uh, just a regular working class neighborhood, I guess. Um, when I was growing up, my uncle lived in an apartment below me and he, he had a serious, serious uh, crack and cocaine problem. So he had like a crack house in the apartment that was underneath my house. I remember the cops raiding the place a couple of times, dragging him down the stairs by his feet, like his head hitting every stair on the way down. Your surroundings are, are what they are, but like what happens in those surroundings is, is different, you know? But uh, I mean, it was pretty cool growing up. I never got my bike stolen. I'll say that. I still got the same bike I had since 1983. I got a mongoose that's hanging up in my fucking garage now. Me too. <laughs> I managed to keep that bitch for this whole time, man. And I, it, yo, they tried to steal it a few times, but but I still got that bitch, man. I don't even know what a mongoose bike is. What is a mongoose bike? Mongoose? A mongoose? Yeah. It's like a it's like a it's like a 20 inch BMX bike. Ah, uh, okay. What about you, Gary? Uh, I grew up in an area of the Bronx called Morris Park, which was, you know, working class area, not, uh, you know, it wasn't the hood, but it wasn't. Was it Martin's you know, area? It, yeah, it definitely <laughs> wasn't Martin's area. Um, you know, but I, I grew up in a five story apartment building. Like we talk about all this stuff with the virus and, and people being packed in tight. You know, I was in a five story apartment building, living on the fourth floor. There were all, the whole block was all apartment buildings. So people were just packed in you know, pretty tight. Um, you know, but it, it wasn't really eventful. We didn't have a lot of problems in the neighborhood, a lot of fights. It started to get a little crazy in the early nineties when I was still living there. And, and, and it started to get, we got some gun activity on the blocks and things like that, but it wasn't, you know, it didn't last all that long. Um, you know, and, and everything was pretty average for me. 
and then I started getting into hardcore and you know, it's funny. We used to take the two train down to all the, the metal shows down at Roseland and places like that. See Pantera and all these other bands. And that's how I met Martin because you just had a group of, of kids on the train and you see a kid with a Pantera shirt or like a white zombie shirt or something. And I was like, Oh, Hey, you're going to the show, huh? And then all of a sudden we got, we got 20 of us, yeah. Yeah, we got yeah, 20 yeah. of us rolling down to the show and hanging out. I remember those shows. days. Yeah. So I remember that. Yeah. It's the same over here as well, man. I always used to have that sort of thing going on. Like you just bump into the same people like yeah. on the train going to each and every fucking show that there was. It, and that's how I'm yep. still with those friends now. It's cool. Yeah. So that, that's how yep. I met Martin. And then we, we were going to hardcore shows. You know, we weren't just going to metal shows. It was going to wetlands, going to CBGBs, places like that. And, and Bond Street. I mean, oh. Bond Street was a whole other thing because I worked around the corner. So I used to go to Bond Street. I used to work at Tower Records. I would take my lunch break and go around the corner, go to a hardcore show, go back to work, and then get off work and go back to the hardcore show. Real hardcore. Nice. See, you hear that? Yeah. So, <laughs> so that was all, you know, I mean, that was kind of how I met Martin and Glenn. And then I met Malone later on when, you know, Billy Club started playing. Glenn, what about you, man? How was you, where did you grow up and what was it like? I was born in the city and when I was three and a half, we moved to Westchester, basically the same town that Tony lived in or neighboring town, but it's the same school district and overlapping police. But, uh, and then growing up there, I was on the edge of town, so had plenty of space, didn't really have to deal with any bullshit. <laughs> but then, you know, like we met in high school, me and Tony, and around that point, you know, we were only, what, seven minutes above the Bronx. So we had plenty of kids from the Bronx coming to our school because it was, you know, safer. Kids from Mount Vernon, from the hood, they were all, you know, using their, like, aunt's names to come hang out. So even though <laughs> we were chilling, there still was nonsense popping off, people flashing guns from time to time and whatever. I mean, you know. And then we started hanging out in the Bronx all the time just because we hated the, the burbs. <laughs> Every day. Oh, really? Honestly, if we Every going down the village, going to the Bronx, buying weed, smoking it, hanging out. And eventually hanging out with Martin in his hood. <laughs> because the Bronx was so close. It was, you know, it was so close to where we grew up. I mean, like, it was 10 minutes and we were in the Bronx. So we were in the Bronx because that's where all the shit was going that's down. We went to yeah. cop, too. We were always copping. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, yeah, we were buying weed there forever. <laughs> but, you know, my father's from Harlem. So even though I grew up in the Burbs, I was raised by Harlem. And he, you know, taught me the ways. <laughs> <laughs> and now I live in the house he grew up in. I actually live, what, I don't know, 10 minute walk from where I was born. I've been here for 20 years in Harlem and watching it become safe enough for everybody to live here now. <laughs> <laughs> I moved here in 2000. I mean, I've been coming here my whole life because my grandfather was here, but in 2000, it was still had a lot of flavor to it. And now I say 2004 is when it started getting safe, but now in the last four or five years, forget it. It's the Upper East Side now. Talking about schools, Glenn and Malone, you guys met in, so let's go right back to the beginning. You guys met in school, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Back in what my, school did you go to and how did you become friends? Through the original drummer for Billy Club. I'd known him since grade school and he, they would all jam in his house and I would just come hang out. And then the drummer ran away to, uh, he literally stole his mother's car and ran away to Disney World. So how did you guys become friends in school then? Was it just so before the meeting? We had met. No, yeah, kind of. So we like we were both like trying out for the basketball team or some shit when we were freshmen, maybe. And uh, like oh, right. he was wearing like an anthrax t-shirt, and I was wearing like the rip shirt. You always talking about 
I mean, Rip Magazine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I had an Anthrax t-shirt on. You remember this part of it more than I do. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was something like that. And I was like, oh, shit, nice t-shirt. And then we started talking. And he was like, you like Anthrax? And we just started bullshitting. And, you know, I mean, like what? Like most fucking high schools back then, you know, there was 90% of the population was fucking jocks and the girls that jocked them. And then there was like everybody else. So there wasn't many kids that were into metal and hardcore. So we just started hanging out. And, uh, when, you know, it was even, it was even crazy. Cause I was like, I play guitar and he was like, well, I play drums. And again, the original drummer actually came up with the name and then, although he doesn't remember it, but, uh, I guess the original guitar was called the band Billy club. And then he was like, nah, Billy club sandwich and drew this crazy drawing that I wish we still had. That he had taped to his drums. Oh, I wish he had that shit. But uh, he stole the car, disappeared for a few weeks, and then his life went downhill quickly for a while after that. Although he's doing great now. But it's just like me and the me and the original guitarist were like, "Yo, Glenn, we we still want to play." And like this dude is gone, and he was like, "Yeah, I'm down to play." So we just started playing together, um, and it just it worked like. I don't know what, maybe two practices, three practices. And we were like, oh, this is, this would be all right. You tell me. I know the first practice was mad embarrassing and they were like, oh shit. Like, what are we going to do here? (laughs) (laughs) Billy Club was my first band. Not for nothing. I jammed with a couple of hippie kids once before playing with them. So it was a mess. I'm sure the first practice, I didn't know what the hell to do. When Billy Club started, did it start as a hardcore band? Or was it just starting as, we don't know what we're doing, we're just going to call this the band Billy Club Sandwich and figure out the rest? Did you know what style of music you was going to play? Oh, yeah, yeah. So that leads me to my question. And individually, how did you all discover hardcore? Martin, what were you? Well, hold on. How did I'm you- the one that was into hardcore first and then got into metal. These three posers were all metalheads first. So now you all go. <laughs> <laughs> that is very true. That is very true. He's like, he's like actually, he should be like Uncle Glenn right now but, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean I was in, in high school I was in uh, in a wrestling team and before I got on the wrestling team I was getting my ass beat all the time getting my lunch taken away so I joined the wrestling team and every time we trained it was always like rock music heavy metal once in a while so I started getting into it then I met uh, my best friend from my first band Gordamentis so I went up to him I was like yo do you have any poison videos and everybody laughed at him. <laughs> <laughs> so he started giving me shit. He was like, all right, check this band out. He gave me Sepultura. Amazing. Oh, then after that, he gave me Deicide. That took a while to listen to because of all the diabolical stuff. And I was like, yeah. I was, at that time, I was knocking on people's doors, Jehovah Witness and shit. And <laughs> so that was, that was kind of hard to listen to. But after I listened to it, amazing, bro. And it just went from there, you know, going to uh, heavy metal shows, meeting up with Gary and shit, like he told the story. And all of a sudden, I met this fucking white guy with the big-ass fucking Afro hair. And <laughs> he took he was like, yo, you got to go to the show. He took me to a show, I think, Bond Street, if I'm not mistaken. Right, Glenn? Bond yeah, Street. I had to shave head VOD. It was with VOD. At that time, VOD only had two guitarists, no basses. Oh, shit. So why at the beginning? And only the demo. So the first song, somebody opened up in an umbrella without the material 
of the umbrella. So there's only the spikes <laughs> sticking out. <laughs> oh, shit. Swinging it like that oh, on stage. I, I was there. I remember I this. too. That, was, that, show, that Glenn has really put me on the fucking map. So when you saw that, he was boot. Yep. Uh, you know what? At the same time, since it's Mother's Day, my mom keeps knocking on the door, so we're going to go talk to my mom. How about that? Oh, yeah. hey, 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 hey. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day. Yes. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day. Oh, Happy Mother's Day. Yes. Hello. Martin's mom on the pod. Awesome. How are you, everybody? Good. Very well, We're good. We're good. We're good. How are you? you? All right. Thank you. <laughs> you having a good Mother's Day? Um, you have a good Mother's Day? She, she's Jehovah Witness. She don't celebrate none of that. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank <laughs> you. I'm sorry, Bobby. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> okay. So I'm just helping her uh, cook. So give me a sec, guys. That's cool. So Gabby, man, what about you? I, I started... I started getting into metal at the tail end of grade school, like seventh or eighth grade. And then in high school... Uh, kids would always trade tapes. So I got exposed to a lot of different metal bands through that. And then hardcore started to sneak in there. Uh, Agnostic Front, Leeway. Um, I think the first ones were DRI and Carnivore. And then from there, just, you know, the first Leeway record, Age of Quarrel. And then... Uh, the guy who was like one of the biggest metalheads in school suddenly came in one day with his head shaved, side by side t shirt, biohazard hat, uh, Doc Martens, braces, the whole the whole nine, and everybody was like, "What is this?" And then started trying to find out what that was all about, and started getting into hardcore. And then my first hardcore show was at Lemoore's. It was the Chromags Leeway. Biohazard, uh, Typo Negative, and White Zombie opened the show. It was before most, White Zombie was still a local band, and Biohazard was a local band also. But Biohazard was getting huge at that point. And, uh, it, you know, and for me, that was just like mind blowing. Like, it, I had never seen anything like that. I used to go to like arena metal shows, and this was something completely different. Like, dude, just getting kicked in the face and Harley, I'm pretty sure landed on me at some point. Oh, shit. And, and I was just like, wow, what, what is this? And then started getting fully into it from there. Started going to more local hardcore shows, Bond Street, Wetlands, places like that. And just getting fully into that whole scene. Amazing, man. So we must be talking what, like 92 for that show? 91? That, that, Chromag show was, I think, May of 91. Wow. So you guys were way into hardcore way before us, man. Well, Lewis, <laughs> Lewis was only about three years old in 1991. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was six. I was born in 85, six, man, uh, when Back to the Future came out. But yeah, man, I was just a little young pup. Finding my way listening to Bobby Brown and shit, man. But yeah, what can you do? I was 11. I was 11 that year, and I was just getting into like... 11 was when I found Maiden and... Guns and Roses and Motorhead and shit like that. Mm. That was that was my shit, but and Poison, 
<laughs> I, I was in the poison as well, Martin. <laughs> Couple of songs. I'll admit it. I saw him live. Open up for David Lee Roth. <laughs> you saw him live. Yeah. I saw Poison. He opened up for Skyscraper tour. I was nice. at that show. That was a great show. Poison sucked though. Poison killed it, man. They were the best part. Uh, yeah. not, not Gary, was you stalking Glenn? You seem to be at all the same shows. <laughs> 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 I was there as well. That's, that's, one of, <laughs> that's one of those funny things because as, as we met and became friends, a lot of we were in a lot of the same places. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, w- w- when I first met Martin. One of the things that I always think about, which is how I know how long I've known Martin, first, like, uh, the second, I think it was the second Lollapalooza tour when Rage Against the Machine opened up. Yeah. Martin actually came, one of my friends drove, and Martin actually came with us. Uh, what was that? Rage Against the Machine, Primus, and Alice yeah. in Chains. Nice. And, nice. and you, were thro- you were throwing up, Martin, you were throwing up dirt after Rage Against the Machine? Hell yeah, it was like pebbles of shit. Yeah, because it was all in an open field. So you just saw like a giant cloud of dirt. And we were all like in the pit. And like after they're done, we're all just like covered in dirt, spitting out dirt. And Martin's just like, bleh. Glenn, I went to, I saw poison as well, man. Nice. <laughs> like, listen to this bill. Listen to this bill. This was 2001. And I was over in, uh, I was over in New Jersey and it was poison headlining. Main support was Winger, then uh, Cinderella, then Fast the Pussycat. Ugh, I can't wow. <laughs> Best fucking show, man. <laughs> Poison and Bullet Boys. The rest of it was terrible. It was a show. I saw Cinderella, Bullet Boys, and Winger. Yo, Martin, nice. you, Martin, Martin, you might have to move your phone a little bit. Your audio is crack, cracking up, crackling a little bit. You might have to just move your phone a bit. I don't know if you've moved it a bit. You call me a cracker? <laughs> <laughs> it's crackling like we can't hear, we're hearing every other word. Try that one. Uh, give that's, me that. that sounds yeah, better. That's, that's better. You was you was gonna ask Steve something. Yeah, you guys you know some of the experience that we had. You already listened to. Did you guys experience that shit over there in London? Yeah, I mean, I, I got I I was a little bit young for that era, so like I was probably. So I was, I was 10 in 1990, just as it was all kind of winding down and Nirvana came along and stuff like that. Um, but that was what I got into when I first got into the music. The first stuff I heard was Bon Jovi, Poison, White Snake. I loved White Snake man, as well, that 1987 album, stuff like that. And it was big White over Snake, here. Mate, it was big. That's the band that made me want to learn guitar. Really? Yeah, oh. man. White Snake, really? I, I saw them open I, up. I, 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 they they were terrible. Terrible. Without Tony Katane, that band sucks. <laughs> No, I was never a fan. Uh, I was never, I was never an album fan. Just the two, the two video songs. I used to fan oh. to the. They used to have the same girl in the video. Yeah, same Tony, woman. Yeah, there. Tony yeah. Yeah. Exactly. She made that. Yeah. Yeah. See, see, I, that White Snake. Actually, I saw that that video. I saw when it came out because I loved the song when it came out. So I'd have been like seven year old me, and I was just like. Whoa, look at that guy, man. <laughs> I want to be like him. Nuclear Family Records presents the split EP from Cold War and Mandy. Cold War from South Wales bring you angry vegan hardcore. And Mantlet from Coventry bring upbeat, metallic, mosh-heavy anthems. Find it on Nuclear Family Records Banker. 
out now. I've always known Billy Club as you four guys, but I know you've had a few member changes. So can you just take us through the timeline? So um, originally it was James Kosas, me, and the original guitarist was Rod. And we didn't really have a singer. And then James Kosas split and... Uh, and and Glenn started playing drums. You originally were the bassist. That needs to be said, right? Right. So the original guitar player was Rod. I played bass, and Glenn joined the fold. And then uh, we didn't have a singer. Tried out a couple of people. It didn't really work out. And then one day that me and the original guitar player Rod were in the Bronx uh, at Orchard Beach, and we were chilling just like drinking Ballantine and smoking blunts on a boardwalk. <laughs> um, and like the beach there is like, it's hood as fuck, bro. But like, you could like, you know, just like, you know, we were just walking down the fucking boardwalk, smoking a blunt in broad daylight. And, uh, and we ran into Martin. So Martin was there with like his family having like a party, you know, cause Dominican. Right. So, <laughs> 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 you know, having a having a, a, a Dominican party at the beach there. And uh so we were like, Yeah, he was like, What are you guys up to? We were like, ah, oh, you know, we're chilling, we got this band, but we don't have a singer. And he was like, Well, I sing. And we were like, Yeah, but we'll look for somebody that's you know, sings half Spanish, half in English. And he was like, Well, I could do that. And uh and then we were like, All right, why don't you try out? And then we finished smoking a blunt with him. He had to hide it though, he didn't want nobody to see that he was smoking <laughs> and then uh and then he tried out and then we were like oh yeah this works so we started like you know writing songs um eventually rod disappeared again and he didn't want to be in a hardcore band no more so i took over playing guitar and then uh we got this dude that used to play in the metal bands from the high school that we grew up in uh, named Matt Stevens. He played in the metal band called uh, Cremation. And he played, what was the other band he played in, bro? Acropolis. No. Yes. Acropolis. Yeah, no. Maybe. I don't know. And then, uh, then we just started playing shows. Like, um, we only played, what, one show with Rod, right? Or two? Uh, There's a few. We played one without him, which James Kosas played bass. And you played guitar. Oh, that's right. Uh, Narco yeah, 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 yeah. You can see that. Glenn's got a good memory, man. Yeah. I'm yeah. that guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not. I'm not that guy. No, you're doing a good job. Guy. You're doing a good uh, job. Rod, I mean, we started. Our first show was May '96. Rod was in the band until uh, fall of '97 when we got Stevens. And then yeah, but we didn't play many shows, right? What we play? Well, no, we play. I mean, yeah, only like a few shows. But and then Stevens was with us until what? Gary joined in 2001. First show was June. That was the Superheroes of Leisure CD release party that we didn't have CDs for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Talk about that. yeah. Uh, late 2000. Well, I, you know, like I mentioned before, I was friends with Martin and Glenn from early on, like the old Bond Street days. Uh, I met Malone the second Billy Club show. I wasn't at the first Billy Club show. The second show you guys played, I think, was the, ba the Pyramid Basement show. And that was when I first met Malone. And then we were all friends. I was playing with Five Minute Major. And I I ended up filling in for Billy Club. It was October 2000. It was actually my birthday. Stevens couldn't play a show. And I was like, well, I could fill in for you. And then when we practiced, things kind of came together. And they weren't happy with Matt anyway. And it got to the point they said, listen, we're going to 
we're booting Matt one way or another. So if you want the spot, we'd like to have you. If not, then, you know, do your thing. So I was still with five minute major and things were starting to not go well within that band. So I decided, well, fuck it. You know, I told Glenn, I was like, well, let's do it. And Matt was out. I was in June, 2001 was the first show that we played together at wetlands with, uh, what was that? E-town. I think. Yeah, it was a town show. Wow. E-town is sworn, sworn enemy, enemy. Blown and thirty six deadly fist. Yeah, and uh, and it was a record release show for superheroes, but we didn't have the CDs. Oh, and CD. then from there, and then from there, we just started playing more and and doing more and and you know writing new music, and it just took off from there. So as a quick as a quick bonus question for the rest of you. Uh, so Gary mentioned that it was his birthday. Which date was that show? Oh, October 13th, 2000. <laughs> oh, shit, you know. I wouldn't know any of these fuckers' birthdays. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's talk about your first ever, ever, ever release. That was in 1996, right? Your, um, yes. I was listening to it the other day, and it's got that proper 90s war sound that I miss, man. Um, can you remember recording that? Was that like an eight-track or...? Yes, yeah, eight-track, eight-at single aid at, at, we did it at NYU when I was going to school there. There was, uh, that one was not a class project. Our seven inch was a class project, but the, uh, the, the demo oh, really? we just did a couple friends on the side and we had no idea what we were doing. And also we using only NS 10 Yamaha NS 10 speakers that don't have low end. No one told me that. So <laughs> we were cranking the low end. I mean, that's why that thing's so bassy and like kind of muddy. Cause we thought nah, it, it sounds sound. good, man. Well, if you were listening to the digital release, I fixed it a little bit. If that's what you were listening to it the other day. Yeah, I have yeah, yeah, on Spotify. Yeah. I actually went back and remixed it. The first demo that we released at our first show, it was a bit more of a mess. And I think we remixed two of the songs. And that's what really is out there. I could be wrong about that. And Malone was playing bass on that one, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. Billy Club's Sandwich. His first show was Mad Ball, 25 to Life, Indecision, Powerhouse. And I think it was AF, their first reunion. Yep. Is that correct? Fuck up my days, man. Same. How did you get? How did you get on the show? Well, Tony, you want to take that one? So, at the time, my old man was working at a Harley dealership with Roger uh, in White Plains, New York, and uh, so me and Rod started like going. Like I would always go visit my old man, like while he was at work and shit, and uh, we started drop by there. And my old man's like, "Yeah, this guy, I think he plays for a band that you know." And he's like, he, he takes us in the back and he, he's like, yeah, this is Roger. I'm like, yeah, I know who that is, you know? And like, I didn't really know Roger at the time, but like, so he, my father's introducing me to Roger Moret. So, you know, we just started kicking it and shit. And then, you know, we told him, you know, we had a band and whatnot, and, you know, what was going on. And then, uh, and then he was like, yo, when you guys want to play shows, let me know. And then, so it got hooked up and we got hooked the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it was show was dope. I mean, it was that you know, it was that wetlands. It was it was sick. Yeah, great um, start. But then we didn't get hooked up again. <laughs> <laughs> how, did actual, how did the actual show go? Was it a good show for you guys? We were the first band, so I mean, you know, it, you know how those yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like I, we have pictures. The pictures are in the seven inch. I mean, you look at the picture of that, and then you look at the video of AF playing. Two very different shows. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yo, funny thing, funny thing about that show is that Phil from Irate was in the crowd at that show and saw us play, and we didn't know him. We had we had a similar thing, Waymo. I don't know if you know this, but um, there was a, a Machine Head played in like 1994, and yeah, yeah. Headbangers Ball did like a party after the show because it was Christmas, right? For years, I had this old VHS video of like me dancing to this Clawfinger tune. And years yeah, later, I'm watching it. No, it weren't that one, but yeah. These guys have no clue what I'm talking about. Uh, oh, yeah, shit. You want to know who Clawfinger is? Have you, have you guys heard of a band called Clawfinger? No. All right. Uh, that's, that's an education for you guys for after this podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's basically a, a right on 90s Swedish rap, rap metal band. Um, oh, geez, you just got to watch it. They had an anti-racist song called Nigger. And the chorus went, nigga, 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 nigga. And they, oh, cancelled, cancelled, right away, cancelled. It's actually an anti-racist song. <laughs> so we, we, there's me dancing to this tune, like, and then years later, I watched the video, I'm like, is that Ray? Shit, that's Nicky as well. It was fucking <laughs> three or four years before I knew him, it was me, right, and Nicky <laughs> dancing to this claw finger tune, like, it's fucking cool. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, that's fucking that. But yeah, man. like 91, Tony and I were going to shows, and we know Gary was there, and Martin was there, but we had no idea who they were, you know? I had like the irate guys, and EGH, you know, big ass Yeah, yeah. yeah. We knew each other back then. But. Lewis, you're back, man. Lewis disappeared from the chat. Are you good, Lewis? Lewis. Is your connection good? Connection should be all right, man. It's tripping out a little bit, but let's see what happens in it. But yeah, I, I literally just got into the conversation about Clawfinger, man. Yeah, but also like the other lyrics are just brilliant. Like, tell me the truth. The truth, motherfucker. Tell me the truth, you sucker. Like, <laughs> golden rhymes, man. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's get back to it, man. So, so anyway, after that, so shortly after that, you released a six-track... EP is it hold a bologna? How do you pronounce it? Bologna, Bologna. Is it Bologna? Bologna. No, it's Bologna. Oh, Bologna. Four songs. Four songs. Also. Uh, okay, something in Italian is spelled the same way. Just I think pronounced Bologna. That's where Bologna came from. Was Bologna, and then and, you know it's kind of like bastardized U.S. Uh, pronunciation of Italian words, like you know, ah. like you know, it's like kind of how you say like you know, like. Capicola is pronounced gabagool, you know, like, because it's not really pronounced that way, but in America, it's all bastardized. So, like, in America, they call it baloney. Ah, uh, okay, gotcha. So, who came up with that name? Because I'm sure there's a story behind it. So, because it was kind of like a play on words for the name was sandwich, and you put baloney on a sandwich, but, uh, you know, when you say, like, some shit is baloney, it's like, it's bullshit. So we were like, yo, hold the baloney. Yeah, that's a phrase. You say, hold the, like, you know, hold the, yeah, you're talking baloney. You're talking nonsense. So let's talk about the release after that, which was most probably one of my favorite releases from you guys, which was the Superheroes at Ledger EP. Yeah. Well, was and the, the thing that stands out. Live tape, huh? live CD. When I went there in 2000 with No Redeeming, that Pierre and all of them got the live tape from me and were listening to it. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yes, that's why. I had that for a long that's time, and then you it you, you had it on a CDR, innit? Oh, no, at that point, it was a tape. Oh, no, maybe I did give him a CDR. It was originally a tape. No, because I, I had it on CDR. came out on CDR in 2000, but I remember sleeping in his flat and waking up the next morning and hearing hearing them listening to it in the morning, and I was like, uh-oh. And then they were all like, oh, <laughs> rough, man. It's rough, man. <laughs> <laughs> But I wanted to talk about um, the thing that stood out 
um, on that release was the artwork. I mean, the music was amazing, but the artwork, the artwork as well was incredible, man. Yeah, Catalina, he did everything except for Usual Suspects. He did the- yeah, so who, yeah, can you give us a bit of background on this guy? Yeah, he, he? I've known him since seventh grade, but he went to high school with me and Tony. Well, sort of. He dropped out, went to rehab, but then managed to graduate with us on time after not going to high school for two and a half years. But uh, he's uh. just like that. But he was a graffiti cat. I mean, he did um, 25 to Life, keeping it real logo. That's him. Coming correct. Cut. Oh, yeah. He did a lot of art for In Effect. The last like four issues or five issues of In Effect, he was the main guy. Uh, he's done stuff for a lot of bands. Breakdown, Cold Front, uh, Irate, No Redeeming. Um, but yeah, he did, the, yeah. So he did the layout of the Billy Club 7-inch. He did the cover of the demo. He did all that superhero stuff and chin music. I can't watch Police Academy now without when that sample comes on. <laughs> as soon as I watch the film and that comes on, I'm expecting the drums to go. Drums to kick in, man. I used to, I still have my tapes. I used to collect samples all the time. I was watching movies. I would stop, rewind, and like record things that took cassettes. But Gabby, that was your first time recording with the band, right? No, I, I that was Matt Stevens, but uh, I think there were issues with that recording and that's part of why they were looking to replace him. Yeah. We like to talk about the issues. Well, we did record three more songs that did not end up on that because of said issues. <laughs> are, we allowed, are you allowed to talk about what the, the we issues actually had recorded Marco Cabron, Justice Unknown, and uh, Loose Lips, which still is yet to be released, which we made. Now we started playing again. We may try to record that again finally, but those songs, it was going to be a full length superheroes. But ended up being oh, really? six songs that it was, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, I mean... It was on tape, you know, it was a pretty old tool, so we couldn't fix anything. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> where, where did you guys record that then? Uh, with AJ from Leeway, he produced it, and Noah from the Icemen engineered it on uh, Astoria, Libra Digital, which at that time, a lot of your favorite records were done there. A lot oh, wow, man. Queens bands. Yeah, it was on Steinway, Steinway right? Yeah, Steinway. If you go you go look at your uh, credits for albums from around that time, you'll probably you know see it pop up a bunch. Uh, but that was the only time we recorded the two-inch tape. That was exciting for me, uh, you know, and working with AJ. We were obviously all big fans. And he actually, um, the Peter Wilson, the Brujeria cover, He's he does all that lead guitar, wah-wah craziness at the end. That was, was all him. It's like the end, like, touch-on. Jun, 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 jun. Like for whatever reason, the noise pedal wasn't cutting the noise out. And so it was like crazy, like all his feedback. So he was like, yo, give me the guitar. Actually, Tony recorded that whole record with AJ's guitar. Yeah, I used AJ's Blacklist Paul to record that. I remember we were like, was fucking around and I was doing like tracking guitars. And he comes in, he was like, you're a good hardcore rhythm guitar player. And I was like, oh my fucking God. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my fucking God. AJ just told me I was a pretty good fucking rhythm guitar player for a hardcore band. I was like, I'm, I'm going to hang it up now. <laughs> you know, so it said, you don't have any leads? There's no leads for this? Which is why Chin Music has some crazy random leads here and there because we were like, well, we got to do something and just spice this up, you know, the recordings. Chin Music, now you're talking about it. That was released in 2004. I read that um, on that release, you've done an invasion tour with Sworn Enemy, EGH, and RA of Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico, yeah. yeah. Where do we go? Oh, fucking hell, man. What was that like? Uh, one of the best times ever, man. The only time the four bands got to go anywhere together. You know, like, I guess Irate and EGH met up in Europe once for a couple of days, but, like, we've never, nobody's invited us all to go anywhere together. Um, but 
That was a great time. That was the first time we left the country as a band. First time Gary think, flew since he was 13, right? Oh, is it? Something like that. Yeah, I hadn't been on a plane since probably, I think, yeah, I was probably, no, I think I was like 16. Like one of the last times I went to Florida and then I hadn't been on a plane since. So it'd been over 10 years. And yeah, we took off and then immediately turned around and landed again. <laughs> and we're hanging out with the um, the stewardess who actually was like a Harley guy. And like, we're talking, he gets a phone call. Like we're sitting across from him, like, you know, I had the backward seats for the stewardesses and he's like flight attendant, whatever. And he's like, uh, gets a phone call and he's just like, you know, we're landing. There's like smoke in the avionics or whatever. And we had to turn around and land. Oh. Happened. And we had a four hour delay. And like this dude's all bugging out. He hadn't flown, you know, in, 20, in 15 years or whatever. Yeah, I, I just, I, well, I wasn't bugging out. I just thought it was funny. It's like, yeah, finally, after all these years, I'm on a plane again. And immediately we're turning <laughs> around and landing. Up, and then we we spent that four hours in the bar. Of course. <laughs> and, and we finally got down to Puerto Rico at like 3 a.m. or something. All the guys from the other bands were waiting for us. Waiting for us with blunts and 40s at the, at the hotel. <laughs> oh, fucking hell. Nice. Yeah, the no, the no Tell Motel. Yeah. Oh, God. At the fuck shack. They put us up in a total, literally an hourly fuck hotel. You, there's video. Oh, really? You see the video. I just posted oh. a couple weeks ago. There's video of that tour. But everybody, and Sub-Zero stayed there when they were on tour and some other bands. But it was literally like a set of garages. You had a garage so you could hide your car and you walked right into the room. Yeah, so your so your wife wouldn't see your car while you're wow. there with your, you know. <laughs> so one enemy stayed at the promoter's house, but EGH, Irate, and Billy Club all stayed in this fuck shack. It, that was interesting. <laughs> mirrors on the ceiling. Me and Tony laying in bed like, yeah, great. We got this mirror ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> nothing, nothing but porn. Yeah, only porn. And, on the and it's great. If you look at the YouTube video, uh, uh, I, who is it? Nick Irate gives a tour of, of one of the rooms. Yeah, at the end. And, and you walk in and it's just a little room with like a little disco ball on the ceiling and a boom box and a chair for like lap dances. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone but us. Straight from the heart of London. Going back to the bands that you went out there with, Sworn Enemy, EGH and Irate, I've noticed that you guys have got a tight bond kind of reminds me of what we've got in London with the LBU, where we've got a bunch of friends, a collective, and we're all kind of tight together. Like, how did that relationship come about? All those bands getting together was Castle Heights. You know, all of us just there every week and just hanging out and having the click. You know, the five fingers of death with eye to eye also. Those ties go back to Bond Street because, you know, like I knew Glenn and Martin from back then, but we all knew Rob EGH from back then as well. Uh, and you know, a couple of the other guys, cause, uh, Chris B before I knew Chris B, I knew his brother who was in cold front, Nick. And, uh, and I used to work with his sister also. So there were a lot of ties that all went back years that, that tied all of that together. And then everything came together with cast with the whole castle Heights scene and all those bands all playing together. Eye to eye was from up North a bit, but they would come down and, and all, you know, they play with a lot of the same bands and, and that's how we all knew each other. What were, what were like the main spots to play in, in, in New York? Well, well, Wetlands closed with 9-11. So, up, you know, late 90s, you had Wetlands, Castle Heights, CBGBs. Or, well, you had Coney Island High for a while. That's true, and Coney. 
Uh, you know, Bond Street was a bit earlier. Um, the Giuliani years, the Giuliani years were tough for shows in the city. So a spot would pop open for a little while, but spots didn't remain. And so Castle Heights was in an outer borough and it wasn't in Manhattan. So it was able to like survive for a longer time. But it was, you know, Manhattan was dead for a long time. So. Yeah, ev everything in Manhattan pretty much would dry up over time. I mean, I, I was involved in some conversation on Facebook. I think Coney Island High was only open for four years or something like that. And that was a long time for some of these places in Manhattan. Wow. wow. I mean, CBGB's was the longest. Um, you know, and Wetlands went for a good long while. But, you know, Bond Street was only for a couple of years. There were other places that were around for even a shorter time, like the underworld and, and places like that. You know, over time, Castle Heights was was the one that lasted longer because it was out in Queens, like like Malone said. And, and it didn't, you know, all the Manhattan places were getting closed to turn it into something else. Like Coney Island High at one point was a Burger King or something. Yeah, not, and, <laughs> not the sushi spot. Wetlands is a high end like Swedish furniture store or something. Robert De Niro. Yes. That's funny because we've got a few venues in London like that. We had a place called The Swan, which I think is Domino's right. Pizza now. Wow. And we had a place called The Verge in uh, Camden, which is, yeah. is it a restaurant yeah. or some shit like that. But yeah, it's just... Yeah, it's just, a lot of places like that because uh, the Continental turned into a straight up bar because live music wasn't cutting it. And now that whole block is torn down. Knocked that whole building down a couple months ago. Yeah. Yeah, it was also very hard for places that booked hardcore because like, you know, venues would go through times like, well, like the pyramid was still there, but they didn't book hardcore for six or seven years or, you know, shit like that. Or like hardcore shows would be booked at the pyramid for a couple of years and then they would stop. And then, you know, it was way too violent and there was too many fights and too, you know, it was too much of a risk. So. You know, and, and it became more, you know, it was a lot easier to catch a lawsuit. Like everybody became lawsuit happy. So they didn't want because, you know, that happened with other kind of venues, too, because I used to do there used to be something called the Bronx Underground and they used to do shows in, in a church and they ended up getting sued. And eventually the whole thing folded up because some 13 year old kid, you know, got hurt. He got his arm broken or something. I don't remember exactly what it was, but you know, it, that, that kind of yeah. stuff was what everybody was worried about, especially in Manhattan where it's already so hard financially to keep a place going. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the Bronx, the, you mentioned the Bronx underground. I mean, that was a really cool fucking thing. I mean, there was, you know, it was just a group of kids that wanted to do book shows and uh, they would put shows together it would be like us and a ska band and like, you know, like a doom metal band or some shit. Rock and like a pop punk band. And like a rock band. And but yo. It was all for kids too. The, all like more all ages, teenagers. Yeah, yeah it, it was, was all ages. It was a lot of and, neighborhood but, like, kids. Right. And and but they would be packed out. I mean, and no one would leave no matter what band was playing. It was a really cool scene for the time. Like everybody stayed for every band. It wasn't like you had these elitists that just like, oh, I don't like this band. I'm going outside and I'm not going to watch them. All those kids stayed inside for every band and they danced their asses off, whether it was ska or rock or us. 
Mm. Yeah, it's dope. And who's going to do that at a regular like hardcore show? A lot of a lot of these people, if they don't know the band, they're just hanging out outside. They didn't want us to play it first. They wanted us to do a fake name. Well, they, they were nervous about it, and it, it, it was for those exact reasons. And the funny thing is that I it wasn't a hardcore band that the kid got hurt. I think it might have been like a pop punk band. I don't really remember. Mm. But uh, they were worried about it. But over time, you know, they were having other bands that had similar crowds. And, you know, I used to work security for them. And I said to them at one point, I was like, listen, you got these other guys coming through. It's not any worse than what we're doing. So and they were like, you know what? You're right. And then we played for them a couple of times. What's the worst injury you've seen at a Billy Club show sandwich? Billy Club sandwich <laughs> show, shall I say? <laughs> what's the worst? <laughs> what's the worst injury you've seen at a Billy Club sandwich show? Our show specifically. Yeah, is there anything I mean, that sticks out, stands out? What was uh? Well, that kid got knocked out bad at Brooklyn Bazaar, right? That girl. Yeah. The, oh, right. That girl. girl. That's right. Yeah, last year. Yeah, she got she got a little bit more than knocked out. She needed like reconstructive surgery oh, on her face. Oh, oh, man. Man. That we've no one, man. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I don't. It, it was a. It it wasn't done on purpose. Um, and she's in the scene, and she's cool, and she didn't. You know, she wasn't like she wasn't trying to sue the venue or anything like that. Right, but like she got pretty severely hurt, and 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 look, people like us need a release, right? And, you know, I mean, I want it to be as violent as humanly possible without people being targeted or hurt severely. You know, with that being said, you know, I, I, you know, that was a terrible thing. I mean, there's been other things that happened, too. Like the last show at Castle, uh, John the Doorman, who was one of the bouncers there, got a lacerated spleen and like damage to his internal organs. You don't you don't ever want that shit to happen like that you know like somebody gets knocked out and they wake up that's one thing i mean you know i mean sure that's happened to all of us right i mean i've been knocked the fuck out mm. but to have severe injuries where you know they're serious detriment to your health is messed up i mean but most of the time you know broken noses missing teeth shit like that <laughs> <laughs> standard stuff right <laughs> hardcore shit right yeah <laughs> So what was Billy Club Sandwich's first time in Europe? 2004. Yeah, later 2004. We went to we went to Puerto Rico early in the year. And, and then in the fall, we went to Europe for the first time. This is when I first met all you guys, I think, because I was in 50 Caliber at the time. Right. We played... Um, we definitely played the Underworld in London. 2004, we headlined, and yeah, it was, was it 50 Caliber? Was we played to... Played to uh, Blaze of Unity. 50 Caliber was on a bunch of those shows. Yeah, yeah, we played in we played the Field of Hate Festival in Germany. That's the first time. Yep, played. yep. We played. Yeah, <laughs> yo, Steve, that was that was a fun ass tour. Steve, you came from front. That was dope. Who was on that tour then? What fifty caliber won the tour? I think we played a couple of the shows. It, it was definitely a couple of the shows. I don't know. If, I don't think. Yeah, it was you guys shows. played like. I think you played the first leg. I, if I remember rightly, I think we did two weekends. So we did like the first weekend and then we all went back to work and then we come and did the second weekend. I think it was something like that. Well, that did, well we played, we played we, London. We played the underworld in the middle of that tour, which was fucking difficult because we had to like, yeah, 
sneak in and then sneak out again. Right, because we played Wales on the Monday. The Cardiff, I mean, the Newport, Newport, Wales. We played TJs. Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah, TJs. Yeah, we played, we played uh, TJs in Newport. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was a nice time. Yeah, yeah. All that shit was getting defenestrated out of that window. But, but wait, was, <laughs> was, was 50 caliber on that show? Mm, uh, maybe I don't. Or was Knuckle so. Dust on that show? It was Knuckle Dust. That's the famous show where the fight kicked off. Yeah. We're, we're oh yeah, we yeah, we was yeah. on that show. It was yeah. us that beat it. I played two sets that day. Yeah, that's when yeah. Pete was yeah. kicking the fuck out of some guy or something. You did the Shadow Realm cover. I do remember that. Yes, Beatdown Fury played the filled with hate fest also. Yeah, yeah, right? we did, yeah, yeah. Because you guys did the irate song, and we all yeah. went out on the floor. Yeah, yeah. The infamous set when before Justice Unknown, Martin said, uh, "Germany, you have a long reputation of being racist." <laughs> oh, no, yeah. And then, and then you can hear you can hear a pin drop in the place. <laughs> oh, you can hear a pin God. drop in the place, and then all of a sudden, Martin's like. Oh, but we've been treated very well here. And then a polite clap, like everybody's like, oh, <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't know where he was going with this. I think what he, I think what he said was, but since we've been here, we've been treated all unity. But <laughs> 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 it got real quiet. Yo, real what fast happened to Martin? What happened to Martin? Where's Martin? Yeah, Martin's disappeared yeah. off the pod. What's the differences between touring America and touring Europe? America's <laughs> Why does America suck? You, I mean, we get guarantees now, but you don't get paid. In Europe, you get fed. You even get water, at least. You get beers, place to stay half the time. You get none of that here. I don't. Yeah, you're, you you're lucky if you can, like that you're, here. You're lucky if you can get anything in in America, especially on like like we were talking about the show in Wales. Like that was a Monday night, and we still had over a hundred people in yeah. America. Probably not on a Monday night. No, no, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Because nobody, nobody cares. Nobody's just that interested. And and, and it's probably going to be worse once things open up again after all this virus nonsense. It's 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 going to be even worse. When Knuckle Dust came, and it was the same thing. Like Backfire wanted to like get hooked up with Billy Club or No Redeeming, and it's like we can't give you any guarantees over here. You know, it's like you want to come play. I remember we played that show. It was us. Who was it in Brooklyn? Yeah. Is Knuckle Dust, um, Billy Club Sandwich, everybody gets a IRA. Yeah. I think there's like 20 people there. <laughs> 20 people there. <laughs> lineup, right? Big show. Yeah, there was like 40 people there. <laughs> yeah. But still, that for me was like one of my favorite shows, man. Like, because all these, I was, I was a fan, a big fan of all your bands, all, all them bands on that bill. Yeah. So for uh, me, I was like, this is amazing. Wait, Do you know what wait, I mean? Wait, was that, was that, remember that show at Manitoba's where I just surprised you lot and just walked in? Was that, that, that was like Dominique and Dave Parade and... Yeah. Us. yeah. 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 <laughs> we made them play. We're like, you're all here. Like, just play. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that was that was in the MySpace days. And I think I was talking to Pierre and, and he's like, no, we just want to come chill. I'm like, you guys got to play. God damn it. You're playing. You know what? I'll and, pick up to you, Glenn and... Um, and Gary for that because I remember you guys picked us up and you looked after us and you drove us from New York. Oh yeah, down to Baltimore. There was nine of us in my mother's minivan and with Pierre laying on the floor <laughs> between the two seats, like just looking up at us. Yeah. <laughs> I remember what I had this. This is the days when you used to carry CDs and I had a bunch of like R and B CDs. 
And I remember Glenn found them because I left them in his mum's car and you were just roasting me saying, what's all this fucking shit? And <laughs> 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 with my CD collection going, what's all this pop boy band shit? Where, where did you play in, uh, where did you play in Baltimore, Weimar? Sidebar. Yeah, it was sidebar. a sidebar. Who yeah, was it yeah. with? It was Stout and someone else. Um, and I think, was it GFY or Losers Sometimes Wins and Wisdom and Chains? Was that that? No, Wisdom and Chains didn't play. Uh, they, they were they came, but they, they never played, man. So let's talk about your next release anyway, man. Um, Usual Suspects, that was in 2008, taken from one of my favourite films. And that was released on um, Dead City Records, right? Yep. You guys are good friends with John Franco. I want to give a little shout out to him from Awkward Fault. Yes, definitely big shout big out shout to John out. Franco. Big shout let's out. Let's talk about him, man. How do you guys meet up with John? Uh, Rock and Rex record store in Yonkers back in the day used to work there and we and oh right. okay oh every Monday we would go uh, with another friend of ours Monday fun day we would go down to Rock <laughs> Rex when I was doing Crucial Chaos he would come he was there like every Thursday he would bring records up and hang out but yeah I mean, he's been on almost every tour we've ever done he's been with us and is the man yeah. uh, well hold, hold on go, go back the original 7 inch yes the seventies was yeah. well. No post records was him. No post records. That was John Franco before Dead City. So John put out the original, the first Billy Club seven inch. He always reaches out to me by email to say how you guys doing, and da, da, da. he's a fucking really good guy. Me and Lewis, we basically grew up in a place called Beckton, and I've told this story a few times. But there was a church called St Mark's Church in Beckton. That's where Knuckle Dust formed. John Franco came down to that church. And um, nice. that's the, that was, I think, the first time I actually met him in person, man. And ever since then, he's been a really good friend, man. Really good guy. Do you know what I mean? Was he? There? I know he loves you guys, man, so much, man. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, like was he that there? dude's like family. You know, I mean, like that dude. Like I, you know, I I don't know where Billy Club will be without John Franco. You know, that guy. He's part of Billy Club. Yeah, he's he's done he's done so much for us just between the touring stuff and also just helping us out as far as handling a lot of business stuff for us. Well, does all of our merchandise and whatnot. Yeah. He, you know, he's, he's always mailing stuff out, you know, fulfilling merch orders and stuff like that. He runs the online store and, and then, you know, all, most of these trips that we've taken, you know, he didn't go with us to Puerto Rico, but Europe, he went with us. He went with us to Japan also. He's taking care of a lot of that stuff for us, so we really appreciate everything he's done. He helps, helps set the tours up for us, and he's just a lunatic. <laughs> we love him for that. But where the floor the floor is yours, you can say right now. Send a little message. Send a little message to him. To John, we love you, man, and I'm sorry that your life is so miserable right now because he's working. <laughs> <laughs> he's working from home, and his job is crazy. It's way harder than it was when he was working in the office. Like he's chained to oh, a computer yeah. every day, and worried about getting fired because they laid off a lot of people. So he's got more work to do. Uh, Take up for it. It's been crazy for him. And they also were just implementing a new system with their computers. And like, he's had to train people. It's like been nuts. Well, that, that, and also he would go and, and travel and go sell merch for other bands. And now there's no shows. So he's he's losing, you know, he's losing a lot of money with that right now because normally he would be out with, you know, Sheer Terror or whoever else or Murphy's Law selling merch and, you know, now it looks like most of the year is shot. 
when it comes to that. We don't know mm. when there's going to be shows again. That's a good dude, man. But going back to that Usual Suspects album, you released a video for um, Bottom of a Barrel. <laughs> I fucking <laughs> love that video, man. So I'm sure that anyone listening to this, everyone listening to this podcast has seen the video, but if you haven't, go onto YouTube and just search um, Bottom of a Babel Billy Club Sandwich. But basically, whose idea was it to film that? He came up with a concept. I mean, I shot it, directed it, and edited it, but the idea is, you know, it followed the lyrics. I think we all were like, what are we going to do for a video? We want to just do a live video. And like, that's not our most popular song, especially over the years. We don't even really play it. But it was, oh, really? Uh, yeah, we haven't been playing it. We, we've had some, yeah, sometimes uh, there's just not as reaction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was in Martin's actual office. That was where he was working at the time. We just shot it on the weekend. You know, and so it was cool for you to go in and do it? Uh, well, his the, his boss was a good friend of his and still is. Oh, you know, uh, wow, okay. Yeah. But his coworkers did get nervous when they saw the video. <laughs> <I don't know>. <laughs> <laughs> that song was, was a song that kind of had more of a clear story to it. So when we did the video, it just went right along with the story because the story is really about somebody that's you know, working that day-to-day grind and then finally just snap. So it really lent itself to us doing the video because the concept was already there. It was just a matter of executing it on camera. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Glenn, you know, like Glenn said, he filmed it all, put it all together. And, you know, we spent the day just just putting it together and and filming. Yeah, we had to do a couple. We had to do a reshoot for a couple of shots. But yeah, one long day. So, Glenn, you do everything, man. You record, you do video editing. Uh, is that something you've done before or you just learned it? Well, I went to film school. Well, I went to NYU. I never knew that. The chaos stuff. I was actually technically in film school, but I did all audio since being a drummer and music. That's what got me engineering. But I did learn to edit the old school way, you know, tape to tape there. Are you still working? Are you still working in the studio at the moment? Are you still doing... Well, um... Not at the moment. I mean, I'm doing a little bit of work at home, but I need people to come here to record. As far as legit studio, like I do drums in a studio up in Westchester and do most stuff in my house now. Um, I, the last studio I really worked at was um, Je- you know, Jimmy from Maximum Penalty, his old studio. And then I was, well, I was at another studio after that in Westchester, but uh, I've been trying to find a way back into somewhere in Brooklyn or downtown. would like to get back to doing hip hop again. I mean, I used to work with a lot of big names, but that was a long time ago. Glenn, did you do the um, NRSV um, video? All, all that stuff as well. Uh, most of that was Scott, the old bass player. I shot the Super Fun Time Party Girl video, uh, but he edited that. And I did, um, if you've seen the one for You Are Here Because You Are Drunk, that's in Japan. Okay, yeah. But uh, most of the video, the DVD and all that was actually Scott, Scott Combo. That was like how he learned. He is a video editor. He works for um, Bellator, like the MMA fighting stuff. But he learned, he can know Demon DVD is how he learned to edit. Well, he, he he shot everything for the oh, that's true. The Japan Suspects DVD too. Yeah, he was over there with us for a couple of days and shot. Yeah, and he actually and he edited. Yeah, he put that together. Yeah, he put our DVD together. Yeah, as well. You know what? You mentioned Japan. You guys toured Japan. What was that like? You guys gotta go there. You gotta go there, Wima. Wima, you gotta go there. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> really. You know what? That's one of the places that I would love to go. We had a band. Our last band that we interviewed on this podcast was a band called Split Knuckle. They're a bit younger than yeah. us, but they, you know, Split Knuckle? I don't know if you heard of yeah. them. Yeah. Okay. They toured Japan, I think, last year. Yeah, my wife. Yeah, last year. And they, last year. And they said it was one of the best experiences I've ever had. Like, how was it for you guys? How is it different from anywhere else? 
they go crazy, man. They love it. I mean, we had they had a surprise welcoming party for us at this restaurant. We had no idea about, you know. We just thought we were going to oh, dinner. Really? It was like twenty five kids, like Billy Club. I mean, and oh, that was crazy. That was crazy because we we walk into the place and they're all wearing like everybody gets hurt, irate, stout t shirts, and we're just like, you know, we just walk right into that, and it's like, wow, you know, obviously they know us and our friends and love what we do, and that was cool. It's, it's yeah, it's weird. It's weird also because like there's no real like delineation between scenes. Like we were playing and there was like Japanese pop artists hanging out with us on stage and shit. Like oh, shit. Yeah, that girl Yappy. Yeah. And like, you know, like, so there's no, like, w- w- you know, they were like, Oh yeah, well, check this out. Check this out. We walk into Seven Eleven and they like grab like a real magazine off the Seven Eleven thing and flip open to an interview with us in it that we had done. We're like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. Yeah. Like, like, Hip hop. It's not like, yeah, there, there's not like it's not like that. The hardcore scene is like underground. It's like kind of it's like another scene. There's just all all the scenes are kind of like together, connected in a way. Yeah, yeah, interconnected and shit. It was it was yeah, it was really cool. I mean, playing techno in between the bands, DJs. <laughs> oh really? Yeah, it was like that's the yeah. Fun. yeah, Martin Martin freestyling. Oh yeah, that's DVDs that when he's freestyling. <laughs> Martin just walks up and like somehow communicates to the guy that he wants the mic. The guy gives them the mic and they're playing this beat. Martin just starts freestyling over the beat. It was like that was a lot. Of, it was a lot of fun. I, I love I love Japan. That that was awesome. And that was at like five a.m. or something because the shows yeah. would go all night because the train would close. Since the train closed, they would the party went until five a.m. That was crazy. We played. Yeah, we didn't play we until like three in the morning. And then Sand played at like four. Oh yeah. wow, man. That's insane. Yeah. Would you say that was in Osaka? How many, how many shows did you do out there? Just four. Just four. And would you say it's the best place you've ever played? Oh, yeah. Better than <laughs> TJ's in Newport. Hey, man, the Underworld. <laughs> Underworld is up there as well, though. <laughs> you ain't got to say that just because we're sitting there. <laughs> yeah, I four times between both bands, so, you know, that's one of my favorite spots. Check out the new podcast from Essex, Then and Now, featuring interviews with the Deaf Skulls, Point Down, Understand, and Special Move, with much, much more to follow. Check out their Facebook page to find out more. But let's jump forward, man, to uh, 2019. Uh, because you guys, you had a bit of a break in it around, what, 2010, is it? 10 to 16, yeah, six years old. 10 to 16. And this year, I thought you guys were broken up, man, but why so long? So, um, before 2010, the years leading up to 2010, I had a, um, a progressive drug addiction going on and came to a head uh, 2010. We broke up. Uh, not really broke up, broke up, but it wasn't like official, but we just stopped playing. And, um, you know, I was pretty much on a downward spiral in my life. Pretty much everything that was going on in my life got affected by that. Obviously the band and, but just my personal life was, you know, I was living out of a car. I had no job, et cetera. Um, I was pretty, uh, hardcore addicted to uh, opiates, um, so I fucked up a lot, and I uh, I did a lot of uh, you know things that f- fucking friends don't do to each other. There was a pretty bad uh, 
wind up between me and the rest of the band. Um, so those guys didn't speak to me at all. Um, so, you know, um, it took a long time for me to, uh, you know, get into recovery and turn my life around. Uh, so I was battling some personal things, um, you know, for that duration. Um, then even, um, even once I got sober, it wasn't like I immediately reached out to them to make amends and, and, you know, and try to try to fix things. I was still trying to learn how to cope with some of the things that I had done. And I, so I continued to make mistakes. It wasn't just while I was an addict. It was also in a lot of things that I did and how, how, and then, you know, it was the things that I did, but also in, in not reaching out and not, uh, trying to fix the things either. Um, it took me a long time to kind of come to terms with what I did and then figure out how I would, you know, gain the strength to, to face all that shit. Um, and not just with them. I mean, you know, in my, in my personal life with my family members and just a lot of people. Uh, so there was like this kind of this whole thing going on. Uh, and to their credit, I mean, you know, I never once, um, doubted that those guys really loved me because even through all of that shit and, and me like canceling shows and not being reliable and lying through my teeth about what I was doing and, and all that shit, they never aired me out or, or publicly or said anything about me to anyone or what I was doing or what I was going through. And, um, so, you know, that is something that I'm, I'm very grateful for to this day. I mean, I don't know if everybody, um, would do that. Um, and I, I don't even know that if I deserved that, but it's, it's what happened. It's the way that it is. And so, um, there was a very long break and, uh, you know, I'll take full responsibility for what happened, um, before, during, and after the entire thing. No, I mean, thanks for sharing that. I mean, none of us in life are perfect and we, we make mistakes, but I think the first thing you do when you make a mistake is you got to look at yourself and I can see that you've, you've done that, man. So I commend you on that, man. Like, mm. what was that period like for you, Glenn and Gary? To tell my side of it, I mean, you know, Tony and I, again, we've been best friends going back to 10th grade, you know, 1990, 91. And uh, when all this went down, like none of us really knew how bad it was. We knew that he was taking pills here and there. Like, like on tour, we would take a pill. Like, you know, when you're on tour after a few nights, your back's hurting. Like, oh, let me get one. We had no idea it had gotten to that point, you know. And then when it went down, you know, besides being pissed and whatever, like we tried to help, but then Tony, he you know, stopped responding. He was off doing his thing, doing what he needed to do. So we kind of just like left it alone. You know, it was like, well, this guy's not returning my calls. What am I supposed to do? We actually didn't even speak for like two and a half years, you know, after being, you know, good friends for 20 years about at that point. Um, and then uh, Tony's grandfather passed away. It was in 2015, I guess. Yeah. And then, you know, again, I was good friends with his family going back to 10th grade, you know? So, like, I went to the funeral just, you know, if anything, it was really more to support his mother and his uncle and his brother. And, you know, 
<laughs> I was there. And as Tony put it that night, he was like, it was not like I'm going to ignore you. Like you're here. And I appreciate that a lot. So we finally spoke. And I would say we still took it slow. I don't think, you know, it wasn't like, you know, let's do the band now then. <laughs> well, it was funny that night. It, it was funny because I said, what's up to him? And, you know, we talked for a second. And then I said, I want to, I want to talk to you. And, and I remember Glenn going, is this really yeah. the time and the place to do this? And I said to him, I don't know, but this is the time and the place that I got. I wasn't expecting to speak to Tony at it. I was just there to pay my respects and figured, you know, you're, you know, it's your family. You're in the middle of all this. You got all kinds of people to deal with, like to take up your time for an hour to talk about our problems. I didn't think at the time, but we did it. I can't remember how long it was till I finally got Gary to talk to Tony again, but Martin was still in touch with you more or less, I'd say throughout those six years. Yeah. Martin, Martin, Martin had kept in touch with me the whole time. Although obviously he was, you know, it was a, it was a difficult and a strained relationship because Martin was upset. You know, he, he lost a really good friend and, and he didn't understand you know, what was going on and why I did the things I did and, and shit like that. But he kept in touch with me, um, you know, throughout. Whereas, like, I didn't speak to, to Muttley or Glenn for two and a half years and maybe more. I don't know. Muttley, how long was it? I don't know. It was it was quite a while. I mean, just, you know, from my perspective, we had issues within the band for at least like a year or two leading into this. And I was really frustrated. I was having a lot of problems getting answers on certain things, trying to do stuff. And and everything really hit the wall that summer. Uh, we had a bunch of shows booked and ended up having to cancel a bunch of shows. Tony had to get surgery. I mean, part of it was your shoulder. This guy was in, had heard it, you know, torn a in the right. 90s and ignored it for 13 years. And it got to the point to uh, get surgery. It was like an emergency. They were like, don't pick up a gallon right. of milk. Don't play guitar. So that's what killed those shows. And then that led into, oh, you have this addiction that we didn't know about. Well, it, it went from having to cancel one or two shows to having to cancel the whole summer because it got to the point where, you know, at, at first Malone disappeared and we, we had to cancel one show. And then he came clean to us about what was going on. And at that point, everything just hit a complete stop. We were like, okay, this band right now, is on pause. We're not doing anything. And we went through ups and downs after that, just on a personal level, because he asked us for support, but then, you know, we were in touch and then suddenly he wasn't returning anybody's calls and, and it got weird. And it went through this up and down for a couple of years where at one point he and I had a long conversation and everything was good, but then all of a sudden he just stopped returning everybody's calls. And, you know, and like I said, some of those issues were bubbling before all of this happened. And then it was just frustration and like, we just went and did our own thing and we were like, he's going to do his thing. And, as you know, after what Glenn was talking about with, with the funeral and stuff like that, eventually Malone reached out and wanted to have a sit down with all of us. You know, an underlying thing there was that it was going to be 20 years, the 20 year anniversary of the band. Uh, yeah. This was 2016. The band played their first show in 1996. 
So it was the whole idea of, okay, it's 20 years. Now is the time, like, maybe we should try to work this out as friends because we were all friends, like I said, you know, with, with the history that we all had with these guys knowing each other from high school and and me knowing Martin and Glenn for early on. Uh, let's try to fix this thing. Let's sit down and talk and see what we can do here. And if we're able to get it to the point where we can play a show to do this 20 year thing, that's cool. Cause we said, listen, we can play the show, but before we get, do anything as a band, let's do this as friends, as longtime friends. Let's right. see if we can get this together and try to get somewhere with, with fixing that. And then if we play a show, that's cool. And that's what happened. We ended up playing the black and blue bowl. We got a great reaction. It was a really good show. And then after that, we were like, you know, maybe we could do a couple more shows and see where it goes. I think that on both sides, there was people talking to me. And there was people talking to Glenn. There was people talking to Motley like, yo, when, why don't you guys just get together and play a show? And I was trying to tell people, I was like, I have to figure out if we could just all be in the same room, if we could even be friends again. I don't know if the damage I did is too much, right? Because something I learned, you know, going through all this is that I did shit to people. I didn't get everybody back. Not everybody's cool with me. You know, some of the shit I did, people were able to say, all right, that's cool. I understand, but I, I don't want no part of you. So, you know, a lot of people were like, oh, Billy Cubs should play. Billy Cubs should play. Why don't you get together? Why don't you guys play? And I was like, why don't we try to be in the same room with each other first? You know, like, and look, it's, it's something I think that we all wanted, but wanting something and the logistics of actually making it happen in a positive way, you know, those are, those are, those are completely different planets. So I remember the year before we got together, cousin Joe texts me and he's like, yo, what's up with you guys? What, why don't you guys play some shows? And I was like, yo, dude, I, we got to talk first. I, don't, I haven't even spoken to Mutley or Glenn in years. So he says to me, he goes, hey, let me ask you something. I said, yeah, what's up? He goes, did you kill anybody? <laughs> I said, no. He goes, then you could fix it. <laughs> and I was like, huh. all right, all right, all right. I'm listening. And, uh, but you know, I, it was a bunch of conversations like that I had with other people that were outside that maybe could have a better, uh, you know, a better idea because they weren't sitting in it. But, you know, we had a talk that day in Glenn's, we all met at Glenn's house. That was the first time we were all in the same room together since what five years earlier or some shit. Yeah, yeah. Well, wow. little Greg's memorial thing, I guess. That's true, but that was a whole other things. Things were not things were not good at that point. <laughs> no. They, yeah. When, when we played without. Yeah, you done the little Greg fest. That's why, isn't it? In two thousand eleven, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. That, that's what we're talking about because yeah. that was that we did that with a different lineup. We, you know, we had always been asked and and. You know, the great thing hit us all pretty hard and we decided to do something. We didn't know if we'd be able to pull it off. But we brought back 
Matt Stevens. That's how. Right. Matt, Matt played bass. I played guitar. And obviously there were issues with Matt and that's why Matt wasn't in the band. So we weren't sure if we were even able to pull it off. So that's part of why it was not announced. It was a big secret. We didn't want there to be any pressure on it that like, oh, Billy Club's coming back and playing because it might have been a mess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Right. Because we practiced... We practiced a couple of times and honestly, we weren't sure if we were going to pull it off. And we did. And at that point, you know, we weren't on speaking terms with Malone, but Malone shows up and it was an awkward situation. And at different points, a couple of us had conversations with him about it. And, I, you know, my conversation with him was not, you know, particularly nice, but, you know, it was a couple of years before we finally started speaking here yeah i mean at that time so when little greg fest happened it was september 2012 mm -hmm. i had been i had gone to rehab in march of 2012 and i had gotten out in august so i was away for like six months and i went to the show pretty much against all recommendation from everyone everyone was like you're not sober long enough you don't know what to do you you're not going to know what to say to any of those guys you don't know what you're doing you should not go there and you know i've not had a particularly great reputation for listening to fucking people <laughs> and their recommendations you know i mean let's just be you know i don't know i still maybe i don't have the best uh I don't take direction well, uh, but so I, I went anyway and it was a fucking disaster. So my sponsor was like, yo, I don't want to tell you that you shouldn't talk to your friends, but like because of how bad the rift was and the damage that I had done, he knew that I didn't have the toolkit to fix any of that shit. So he was like, yo, I don't want you to relapse. He's like, his, his number one thing was like, yo, I don't want you to go or you know, start talking to Mutley or start talking to Glenn and then emotionally it's too much for you to handle and then you relapse. And I was like, I'll be fine with the fuck, you know, and like that was mistake number one because like I said, it went it, it was pretty much a disaster. It was very awkward. Um the only good thing that actually happened was I got to dance to Billy Club songs, which they had never obviously I was always playing them, so I never <laughs> had got to it. But every other portion of that was a disaster. And Glenn and I spoke like on the phone the next week or something. And that was a disaster. I didn't know what to do or say. And I fucked that all up <laughs> and it just kind of drove me deeper into a hole. And I had to do a lot of soul searching and figuring out shit. And, and, you know, they were fucking more angry, you know, I, <laughs> and I can't blame them. I mean, my, my whole thing with it was I was hearing from people in California. I'm hearing from people in London. Oh, Malone's going to be at the show. And I'm like, I don't expect him to suddenly solve everything in a phone call, but a, a little heads up directly from him would have been yeah, would have been a step in the right direction. You know, it's weird that I'm hearing from London that he's going to be at a show in Brooklyn. Well, at full disclosure, we also kept it a secret because we didn't want him to try to be jumping in. You know, like that we thought if Tony knew ahead of time, then he'd be like, well, I got my guitar. Too. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean. Right, wrong, or otherwise, that was our mentality going into it. <laughs> Full disclosure, I pawned all my guitars. I didn't have a guitar at that time. Oh, wow. But then Rob EGH made you sing with us anyway. I mean, you can see it in the video. Rob's like, yo, yeah, yeah. Back, get up here and yeah. like, sing backing vocals or whatever. Yeah. My language, you missing the band at that point. Billy Club Sandwich is in my fucking soul, bro. So, uh, yeah, I, I missed it. Um, 
at the same time, sobriety is a selfish thing. It's a, it's an odd thing to say, but like, you know, so like, you know, even to this day, the first thing I put in front of my sobriety is the second thing I lose. Right. So I had to protect that first and foremost, but I was so new to sobriety. I, I, when I partied, I partied from the time I was 16 till I was 37. I never tried to get clean or sober before. So this was all new to me. I was a baby in it. So yeah, I, I missed it like hell, but you know, it's the kind of thing we where it's like, if I ain't right, that can't be right. So I have to be right first. You know, I had to like figure it out. I mean, and that took me a long time. And I, look, you know, Molly and I have had some really, really in-depth conversations about this topic and shit. And, and like, and I don't want to sound like a cliche or something like that, but I think that, you know, if you do the work to fix it, uh, you know, and you, you look at yourself and you uh, are accountable for your actions, then you can change things. Uh, like when we first sat down at that, that table in Glenn's house, I told all of them, I said, listen, I, I've sat here and I've told you all so many things. The only thing I can do is show you through my actions that I've changed. And, and if, if you could allow me that, that's one thing. Uh, because I can't tell you I'm going to do something. I could just show you cause I lied so much. Yeah, I'm getting clean. Yeah, no, I'm going to, I'm going to go to this. I'm going to do that. I'm not going to take those. I said all that shit, but I never did it, you know? So, um, you know, I think that you, you know, you, you show and prove you know, more than you could just say. I mean, and, and, and I think that there's a lot that can be gleaned from this, from their, from those guys side. I mean, like forgiveness, right? Mm -hmm. If your friends are your friends, you know what I mean? Like you can make it past things if they've done you wrong, if they are accountable. If you've done things wrong to your friends, you can fix it if you're accountable. And you know, what strikes me about this as an outsider is that um, you did things in the right order as well. You changed through your actions. You worked on your friendships because that's the most important thing. And then after that, the result that you got from working through it in the right way is that you got, you know, we're all sitting here now doing this now. So totally. it's like respect to everyone involved really on that. It takes a big person to yeah. be able to know and, and see where they're going wrong. And obviously once you've got to that point and then you want to get everything done right and you just go through the motions and make sure you're getting it right, it's just, well, more power to you. I mean, I thank you for that. But I mean, I think it also, like I look at directly at Motley and Glenn. I mean, I think it takes a hell of a person to forgive. I mean, I... I I held grudges for a fucking long time, you know, like <laughs> I know what it's like to be that guy. You're talking to Grudgely over there. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm kind of known for holding grudges for quite a long time. And I said, listen, it came up at times like I had conversations with people and they were like, well, what's up with Billy Club? And I said, you know, I don't know, but I, I, I won't say never because you never know what will happen, but I said at this point in time, like, I don't think it'll happen with Malone. And if it doesn't happen with Malone, is it really Billy Club? Mm -hmm. yeah. So, you know, I mean, we did we did the one thing at the Little Greg show, and that was cool. And we had somebody, you know, had history with the band and Matt Stevens. But we, we knew our limitations with Matt and... We we weren't gonna be one. We weren't gonna be a revolving door. Like 
for us, you know, Martin said, it's like Voltron. It's like the four of us together have been together for a long time and we're doing things the way we do it. And I don't think it would work if it's not the four of us. Yeah. Yeah. I can't, I, I can't, I can't imagine this without the four of us. I can't, I can't think of it. It doesn't, it doesn't register. I mean, Franco had reached out to me before we were even speaking and he's like, you know, these guys are like, yo, it's not really Billy club if you're not involved. And I was like, I've am flattered and humbled because it's like, that's the way I was thinking. But you know, I, I gave up the right to have any decision about that when I fucked them dudes over. So, I mean, I'm very, very thankful that that's how they, they thought of me too. I mean, Billy club is us. I don't, you know, I can't, you know, it's weird because we have had some lineup changes, but they've been so far apart. This lineup is what I envision as Billy Club. Yeah. I mean, at this point, at this point, next year is 20 years since I joined the band. Wow. Yeah. Right. Damn. So, you know, you look at it that way. It's, it's crazy to think about. And listen, there were times, you know, and, and, and you guys know this, any band will go through these problems. Sometimes you're going to have an issue. Things come up. And uh, it, it may be a thing of questioning whether you're still going to be able to do this, whether it's a medical thing or some other personal life thing. And w- we've had conversations like that before where one person or another might not be able to keep doing this. And, and we've said, like, if it's not the four of us, it's not, it, you know, it's not Billy Clark. Yeah. It's just not going to work. That, that formula, the way it is, if you take somebody out, you know, whether it's me or Martin, Glenn Malone, it, it's not going to be the same. There's like a there's like a chemistry, yeah, musically that it's just it's like you know it's like when you have that core team of you know in baseball or basketball, and once one of them is gone, it's not. Mm. And and we knew that early on because we knew that like. Like I said, when I was filling in that one show in that first practice we had, we all just kind of looked at each other. Are, are we the best musicians? Not necessarily. Like, but look at other bands. Slayer, are they perfect musicians? No, but you put the four of them together, or Metallica, or a lot of these other bands, it's just there's that certain chemistry. And from that first practice we had, we there was a certain chemistry that we had that just worked. And that's why we've been able to do all these things and even after going through all this stuff and now doing this again, it's like, this is why we're still able to do it because we have that chemistry personally, but musically also. That's amazing, man. That that was my next question. Like, when did you turn the corner? When did you realize we can be a band again? Well, there was, there was a secret jam session. (laughs) (laughs) Glenn and I, so, Glenn, Glenn and I got into the studio just to see, like, I hadn't played guitar with anybody in years. And uh, we were like, well, let's just see before we even see if we can get Muttley and Martin involved and we could do it as a band. I was like, let's just see if we can do this. And it went pretty well. And then we started talking about practicing. Well, we, I mean, we got together and we spoke. And as friends, we're like, okay, there's possibilities. But yeah, then we practiced. And then I practiced with just Gary. After that, Gary, or was it before? 
I practiced with just Tony, I practiced with just Gary, and then I was like, yo, I think we can make this come, you know, come together. <laughs> I mean, Glenn, I think you and I had done that a couple of times over the over that stretch. Just to yeah, just to get loose and just do something, because I mean I I was playing in another band for a little bit, but other than that, I really wasn't doing much musically. Glenn was still doing no redeeming. Um and then the the black and blue bowl. You know, I mean, it popped like we it was like, oh, shit. And like, I know, you know, leading up to it, you know, we were like practicing and we were starting to get tight again and shit. And um, but then it popped and we were on stage together. For me, I know that I was like I had that feeling in my chest again, like this is what it's about. Right. Like Motley said, like we were like, all right, we did this show. Like maybe we can do some shit, you know, Um and it just has kind of worked out. I mean, and we, we've gotten, you know, really pretty blessed with all the different shit we've been able to play since then. I mean, you know, we did Tsunami. We did This Is Hardcore. We did The Rumble. We did FYA. Yeah, I mean, we, we one of the things we wanted to do is if we were going to do some more, we wanted to hit some spots that we had never done before. And, and we got to do a lot of that. And, you know, I mean, Eperfest was a big thing. Eperfest was awesome. That was very and man. yeah, and even because that was that was the biggest crowd we've ever played to. How many people? How many sure. people was that? We estimated at one point it might have been like three or four thousand. How did that feel, man? After everything you've been through, you're on the stage in another country, few thousand people. It was awesome, but you have to remember that Martin got hurt. During the last song, he went to the hospital right after that. He had, like it was kind of crazy. Like we're all like riding high, yeah. finally, and we had to go in an ambulance, you know. And then Fat Jay took Malone to go pick him up, like an hour or two later. And he ended up in the long run was all right, but he came back in a sling. They had to do like an MRI or whatever. A weapon. He like uh, he jumped off stage during uh, slow, and there was a. I mean, you know, he he jumped off stage at a you know, an arena stage where there was like a couple <laughs> thousand people. It wasn't like jumping off stage at like, you know, at, CBD you know, whatever, tsunami or yeah. something. And I mean, there was a massive pile on. Somebody dove and landed on top yeah, of it. Landed, oh, like, yeah, landed like leg crashed right into his neck and shoulder. And he ended up like uh, on the floor in the backstage like immediately after. I had no idea. I'm like cleaning up the drums, talking to somebody and then Mutley's like, yo, like Martin's like fucked up, man. Like he's in the back. Like the you know, EMTs are coming, or actually the Red Cross is coming, which we're like, you know. uh, <laughs> well, uh, Red Cross is only like for serious shit. Like we have EMTs, but over there the Red Cross, I guess, is your responders. That felt great. I mean, to be on stage and doing it again, and like in front of that many people, and to have a reaction like we did because the people went off. The funny thing with that too was that the very next night we played in a little tiny place in France. <laughs> <laughs> That, that is probably the size of the room that I'm sitting in right now. <laughs> so we go from like 4,000 people to like a box. <laughs> Kids are going bananas in a room. Though. Sometimes they're the best oh, shows went, as well. Sometimes they're the best was, shows as well. It was awesome. Oh, yeah, it was a great awesome. show. It was packed and it was insane. Well, I've always said like Eperfest was the rock star fantasy for us. And then the next day we went and played a hardcore show for all those kids. And they were like, we can't believe you're here. Yeah. You played Eperfest. Yeah. <laughs> 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 like we did that, you know, that's what was booked. It's not like we decided like we got to cleanse our hardcore souls and go play this. <laughs> <laughs> 
But you know what? Like, we've been talking for almost three hours, man, and it's, it's been amazing. And I, I really want to thank you guys for sharing your stories with us, especially Malone. Thank you for sharing that, man. And I'm yeah. glad that you guys are back and killing it again. So I've just got one final question, and that is, like, what's next with Billy Club Sandwich? Are we going to get any new music, or are you just taking it as it comes? We have the one new song. We started playing out, I guess, in September. What's it called? Menteroso. And and we're working on, you know, other new music. It's It, it was tough before because we couldn't all get in the same room as often, but now it's even weirder just because we can't get together at all. So we're we're... We're learning this new thing of just recording riffs and emailing them back and forth and trying to put stuff together that way. So I'll say this. I wasn't expecting it. And I know it's probably cliche, but the quarantine has actually helped because Mutley and I have traded riffs back and forth over the past two or three weeks that maybe we normally wouldn't be doing. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I'm working from home. And my, you know, there's no camera on my computer. So a lot of times I just sit there with my guitar while I'm working. Yeah. So. <laughs> I want to thank you guys. Steve, Lewis, yeah. you, anything you want to say? Anything you want to ask? Um, I did I did really want, I did want to say real quick that if anyone wants to actually pick up a Billy Club Sandwich CD or the DVD is available for Russian Records. That's the usual suspects and of course the usual Japan tour as well. DeadCityRecords.com or DeadCityMerch.com. He's, he's got a bunch of the other shirts and stuff like that. Uh, and obviously, like Lou said, the, the, you know, Ruction carries a lot of the stuff as well. So that's a great place to go and get it. Glenn, you've got a new release coming out with No Redeeming, uh, with Bug Riot from Arizona, is that right? Oh, yes. The split for Pitchfork, the split seven is from coming out sooner than the record. Our new record was supposed to come out May 2nd, but we don't even have it yet because of all this. It's still on a boat coming from Czech Republic. I just want to sort of, um, echo what you were saying, Weimar. Um, like respect for uh, sharing your stories of us. It's been a, a great like three hour chat. I don't know how I'm going to edit this down into. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is what happens if you try to do all the Billy Club at once. We all can talk. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, we only had Martin for a little bit. If we had Martin on the whole time, it would be even longer. <laughs> actually, I've got one last question. Actually, I was going to ask Martin this, but what's with the Charlie Brown T-shirt? Somewhere around 2000, he just wore it to one show, and I don't know what. It's just him being him. I guess he kept wearing it. <laughs> it's like, no, I love it, man. It's, <laughs> it, it totally turned into a thing because now everybody wants it. Well, fans are starting to show up at uh, shows wearing Charlie Brown shirts, you know, which is crazy. We played in Syracuse, and a whole bunch of a whole bunch of the kids all brought homemade Charlie Brown shirts, and they're putting them on before. <laughs> We start because I'm sitting at the merch table and I'm watching them all put these on and I'm like, holy shit. And I took a picture of him. I'm like, oh, my God, this is great. <laughs> and, then, and then Martin was out. I think Martin was outside and he comes back in and I'm like, yo, look. And he's like, whoa, <laughs> that's that's awesome. Once again, man, I want to thank you. It's been an amazing, amazing podcast, man. So to Glenn, Malone and Gary and Martin, who's internet connections disappeared he's cooking he's i suspect he's eating that food by now you know his mom's <laughs> gonna make you know his mom's gonna make some baller ass food man i bet it's gonna be tasting so good yeah, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> yo well thank you guys thanks for having nah, me man it's been a blog no, thank you yeah, guys man. appreciate it hopefully we see each other in the flesh soon man 
Here or there. Yeah, it will happen, man. Yeah, definitely. And and by the way, just just a little plug here. Uh, I've got my own pa- podcast coming up soon Ooh. with uh, with Len Carmichael from uh, Landmine Studios called The Upgrade, and it should be coming up in the next couple of weeks. I'm gonna edit that bit out. All right, don't worry. <laughs> Yeah, listen. You think you think this is bad? With the editing we have to do is a little. Uh, four, four we talk tracks. too much. So. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, man, that's it, that's it for us. Um, and this has been the Everyone But Us podcast, Billy Club Sandwich. You're listening to the Everyone But Us podcast, straight from the heart of London. <laughs>